Hello and welcome to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. This is Ryan Parker. And we are a couple dudes with PhDs in theology who talk about awesome TV and storytelling. We are working our way through Rectify, and we're on Season 3, Episode 3, uh, Rectify 303, which is Sown called... With salt. Sown. Sown with salt, bro. So, salt. okay, let's talk... You, you know the background of, so, of, of like, salting the earth? T- tell our listeners. <laughs> you I mean, that would kill the crops, right? <laughs> That's right. I mean, what it, what it refers to is this ancient practice. It, it, it goes back as far as the biblical book of, of uh, Judges. I think it was the Ammonites, maybe. But then it also, you can find it in, like, when Aeneas leaves Carthage in North Africa and, and, you know, mythologically goes on to found Rome. He, after defeating Carthage and the queen Dido falls in love with him, etc. He, you know, he's, he's so salt across the fields. So basically in ancient times when you would kill, I mean, sorry, when you would, when you would defeat an enemy on their territory, then you would, salt their fields in order to kill all their crops. It was like the final insult. This episode begins with Daniel talking to a probation officer. And what's interesting, I think, is that, you know, I, I wonder, I, I would love to talk to Ray McKinnon about, I, I, I find, I find his uh, episode titles to be among the most provocative and, and, and kind of like literate uh, or lit most with the most literary illusions of like any show I've ever watched. And this is one of those. And, and you do wonder like, is he's leaving Polly? He's prepping to leave Polly. And you, and, and the question to me is like, is Daniel going to basically, you know, salt the fields of Polly before he leaves? Is he going to kill everything? in this place that he's defeated or has defeated him. I wonder what the metaphor is for that, but he starts, you know, with this kind of tense, every, every interaction Daniel has in this episode is pretty tense with his probation officer and then with Carl and then with his attorney, John Stern in the car after that, it he's, he's not in a good place. I'd say. Uh, there's two things here. Uh, one that just popped into mind when you talked about the intensity of Daniel's engagement with anybody, quite frankly. Uh, at the end of the episode, Amy said to me, I like Daniel less and less every episode. I agree. And, I agree. And, I agree with the boss lady. But you know what's funny is, and you know, I mentioned to her like the kind of conversations we've had around. Amantha, for example, I think she has become more sympathetic in these last two or three I agree. episodes. But let me tell you one thing, though. Daniel has not changed. I know. Daniel is still You're Daniel. Right. You're right. And But what's fascinating about that is, and I don't discount that reaction, right? I, I was, you know, when Amy said that, I said, oh, tell me more. This is really interesting because I don't, I don't know that I dislike him more. I don't know. Maybe my sympathies have, have just shifted where, you know, watching Daniel across those first three episodes of the entire season, wow, right? Your sympathies are, are with him. We're seeing the flashbacks and the dream sequences to death row. I mean, it's initial, it's, it's totally setting you up to, to kind of side with Daniel, but he never changes. He's still very philosophical, stoical, 
reflective, quiet, uh, confusing. But these situations around him have changed in such a way that that reaction, you know, Amy's reaction, I was like, I do, I get that. I know what you're saying. And so I do wonder if, I wonder if there is something going on inside him that he's thinking through this process of leaving to your point, Tony, about sowing with salt, especially around this um, case or this potential case with George and Trey and, and whomever else was involved in th- that evening, that, that night as teenagers, mm-hmm. especially in the conversation with the sheriff and John like he's kind of dropping these bombs, like you were saying, and he's going to walk away. Right. I mean, it's, it's, I can't see this. And again, I don't know what's going to happen, but I can't see him going back to prison. I mean, that's just not the the show. I mean, him in exile is, it feels like that's where we're heading, but along the way, there may be some destruction. There's some mild destruction going on in his family. I mean, in this episode for the first time, there is, clear mm-hmm. tension and division between Janet and Ted. The division between uh, Teddy yep. and Tawny is ongoing. We'll, we can come back to all these, but I'm just saying that the, the, the effects that this has had, we talked about this in maybe the, even the last two episodes, the, the, the tearing apart of the Holden family is, is kind of in full swing. And so what else is going to, what else is going to go or what else is going to give, before he leaves. And I, I think we're starting to kind of see that ripple out. Like you're saying with the, with John, with the DA, with the sheriff, the whole thing, the whole town really. Yeah. You know, I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. And, and I, I kind of begrudgingly admit it that Daniel hasn't changed. And I think what's happened and maybe this is part of the brilliance of Ray McKinnon is we as the viewers have changed and and all the other characters who are kind of in the gravitational orbit of Daniel they continue to change for good or for bad and Daniel doesn't change i think we want Daniel to change and i think you know we're we're we're, we're in the you know se- second half of the series here uh, out of the 30 episodes and I think you make a really good point because I've said here before that I thought Amantha wasn't not a very sympathetic character, but of course now she's very much sympathetic. I mean, she and her boyfriend have broken up. She's at this depressing management training seminar in Macon. She ends up, you know, meeting a guy at the hotel bar after a karaoke night and going back to his room with him. You want here's how I know that Amantha has grown more sympathetic as a character. You want her to go to the room with the guy. You want her to feel some tenderness and some some intimacy and some joy in the arms of this guy she's met, who's listened to her story. She gave up everything for Daniel. Like she didn't finish college. You know, she's moved back from Atlanta to this small town, and she feels totally betrayed by Daniel. And I guess what's frustrating for, you know, not, not, I mean, I think this is exactly the point we're supposed to feel. And I feel it happening. You want Daniel to change and evolve as, as a character. And he's not, he's not changing. He's still being an asshole. Like even John Stern in the, 
it gets out of the the interview with Sheriff Carl and is like, are Teddy and Trey the only people you've assaulted since you got out? Like, are there more are there more people you've assaulted you need to tell me about? John is livid. John is just like, what the hell, man? Every, everybody around you has basically put their lives on hold to try to rescue you from death row. And your response is you get out of prison and act like an asshole. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? You know, you're going to, John Stern says, you're going to have to get help. When you get exiled, he's 24 days away from relocation to some other place. You're going to have to get help. In other words, like, get in therapy, get a psychiatrist. You have got serious psychological problems. And you just know when he says it, Daniel's not going to do that. Daniel doesn't want to change. So I think you're exactly right that all these other characters are evolving. Even you watch the the marriages uh, dissolve between Teddy's marriage, Ted's marriage, you know, all these characters are struggling, trying to change. Daniel's not. And I think you're exactly right. That's super frustrating. I want to go back to this, uh, to Amantha. I, and I know this may be a simplistic response, and, and not a very intellectual response. But but how how brilliant is it to finally have Amantha's verbalization of her anger and frustration of Dan, uh, with Daniel, mm-hmm. where she reveals, where she says what we all know. Like, I did it. I got him out of death row. And the guy who's leading the training seminar was like, well, he owes you a Coke. You know, and she's like, hell yeah, he does. And he has, you know, and what does he do? He turns around and confesses to the very thing that we fought against to get him out. But like, you can imagine, I just, I would have loved to have been a fly uh, on the wall for these conversations with the, with the writing team where you, you know, that moment has to happen, right? She, there's got to be this release, which I think in a way frees her up potentially. It'd be interesting to see how this how, her, how she continues to evolve in this season. But I think that moment frees her up to have the moment that you talked about in the, in the hotel room. She's kind of released this frustration and this anger, but to do it at a thrifty town managerial <laughs> training seminar is ingen- it's genius. Yeah. It's absolutely genius because, like you said, it's this kind of pathetic cheap and i just mean like the whole the setting itself it's in a ballroom at a hotel they've got a little table with bottled water and some snacks and this guy's just talked about this funny story at the six flags and then she's got to get up and she pours her heart out but and that's where you choose to set it i mean to me that's what makes this show great you could you could write that that admission right that confession that release of anger she could have yelled at daniel but you yeah. know that just falls on deaf ears, right? Daniel's not hearing that. She says it to anybody else, and she's just complaining because they all know what she did. So she's saying this to people who don't know her, who I, I think she says it. I mean, it is. I think it's an act of like self, like healing. Like she, there's there may be some healing taking place in that moment. It's it's too early to say, but it felt that way because her conversation with the gentleman at the bar later is such a sweet kind of beautiful moment you know it's it's shot nicely kind of like most of those scenes are there's some some serious flirting going on and 
that he's cast so well. He he doesn't seem creepy at all. You know, he seems very genuine. Yeah. And I, I think it just really paved the way for the the believability of that moment. And like she kind of earns that. I, I know that not, that may not be the right word, but she deserves that moment, like you just said, of of some happiness or some joy or pleasure or whatever. Yeah, I think that's right. There was another thing I wanted to mention a little bit, and that's the Teddy Tawny interaction, which I I I thought Please. that was yeah, another, yeah yeah that was just another really well written and w- really well acted scene where Tawny's at their house with her bag, and then Teddy comes home, and she said, you know, I thought. I didn't expect to see, well, neither of them expected to see the other. And, you know, Teddy was supposed to be at work and Tawny has left, left him. And I thought the way that scene goes, the, the, anybody who's been in a bad marriage or a bad romantic relationship knows exactly what that feels like to be completely misfiring with your communication with your significant other. Like no matter what you say, they mishear it and vice versa. You know, it, it's like Teddy says, okay, maybe we should go see that therapist. You mentioned Tawny says, but you said you didn't want to. Teddy says, well, I just needed to think about it. It was kind of a new idea. Tawny says, well, maybe I've already been seeing her. Teddy says, Oh, you have? Tawny's like, yeah, but I guess we could go. I do think you need help. Teddy says, forget it. I'm out of here. It's like, oh my God. That all just happens in like 40 seconds or something. You think I have been in those, I have been in those exact conversations. The ebb and flow, the ebb and flow of Teddy there, it was just something remarkable to watch because you think maybe, maybe, nope. No chance in hell, you know? Right. Like yeah. they almost get there. Nope. And it's just, and it's just over. I want to ask you this. Another, you know, you, you already mentioned Ted and Janet have some strife. What do you think that little thing is between Janet and Teddy when Teddy's like, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not barging mm-hmm. in here. I, I took it to be the, and, and, you know, he says, dad just asked me to come help with this kitchen. I took it to mean like, I'm not trying to become your son. Like I was your son when Daniel was in prison. You pushed me out of being your son when he got out of prison. He's leaving again, but I'm not coming back to fill that role as your son again. Oh, I think you just answered your own question. I think you, that's, you, you, that's absolutely yeah, it. Same yeah. Thing. I, and I, yeah, I, I think that's a very good read uh, on that exchange and then what's happening in that relationship. Potentially, like I said, we, always say and repeat that, you know, we don't know what's coming down the road, but yeah, I think you're right. I, f- you feel that is so awkward. And I, I obviously Teddy's still reeling from his assault. Let's just, let's name that. Yeah. And yep. it's affecting the way he's relating to everybody in his family. You know, he tells Tawny, he's like, I think dad knows about what happened to me. And rather than just talking about it, um, and seeking some counseling or some healing for that traumatic experience. I mean, let's just be honest. Like you, you were attacked and violated and you know, it's, you're not just going to brush that under the rug. And 
I think that's imp- impacting the way he's relating to his family. I think you're exactly right about um, that. There's kind of a barrier now, and I, it, he may not cross that when Daniel leaves. It. I thought what was the funniest part of maybe the whole episode, and certainly that scene, is when they're in there working on the kitchen, and then J- Jared just kind of walks in and kind of assesses the situation, and he just walks out. Yeah, I just I thought that was sneaky funny. Like he's like, oh, I'm not getting into this. He's you know, he's had enough. Yeah, there were some sneaky funny lines. I mean, even that scene, you know, that there there was there was a comic level to that scene at the Thrifty Town training seminar. You know, like that guy with the headset on, yeah, doing the like he's like the MC to this room full of crickets. There's like 14 people. Like I've preached in rooms like that. You know, yeah, Uh, Yeah. give Amanda a hand. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, she's got oh Amanda. Oh my gosh, it's just cringeworthy and funny. The, I had a question for you. I, this touches on, you know, kind of going back to the the fraying of the Holden family. There's this, there's a choice, you know, here. Uh, there's a flashback to the prison, to the meeting room, right? To the visitor's room. Yeah. And it's the scene and the moment that Daniel learns that he's getting out which yes. I thought was a really neat inclusion in this episode. And I think it thematically ties into what we've been talking about at the start of this episode about the ways in which Daniel hasn't changed since he's been out. There's no moment of real celebration, jumping for joy, anything like that. Daniel, it hits Daniel, I think. It, it shocks him that he's getting yeah. out. And the first thing he says is is he's acknowledging how this is going to affect janet and i think we should play the segment well wait yeah i mean before that i will say this he says it wasn't mine like again he didn't know the, if the dna that they oh, yeah, it, that yeah. they found is, that. It, you know that yeah, yeah let's okay. listen to that yeah let's play that whole scene and I w- we can come back to both of these points i've been in here john daniel it's almost march the first time we've convened this year any resolution? You're getting out of here. The DNA's finally been tested. Your sentence is being vacated. Daniel, you're going home. You did hear me, right? You heard what I said? It wasn't mine. It wasn't yours. It's really happening. In weeks, months, maybe, but it's happening. I can go home. Yeah. You can go anywhere. You can go to Tulsa or New York or anywhere. What's in Tulsa? It's going to be really hard for her. What do you mean? To survive, she had to let me go, John. Now she has to conjure me back up. She won't have to conjure you, Daniel. You'll be the real thing. 
So, Tony, there seems to be a recognition in this moment that life is going to be very different and difficult for Janet upon his release. Right. And I think there's an implication in what you and I have said already in this episode that Daniel is not living, free Daniel is not living with that realization that he's not doing anything to make it easier for the people around him. We also know from previous episodes that Janet never visited him in prison or didn't do so regularly. She just couldn't do it. She let him go. And we also know that Teddy moved in to that role as son, her stepson. And she said, you know, call me mom and things like that, even though we've only, and we've recently found out that Teddy's mother is still alive and he's shown some interest in, you know, finding out where she is or, what contact she's had with Ted. But I also thought thought it was interesting, you know, when John Stern delivers the news and he says the DNA, you know, the DNA, they they did the DNA and you're getting out. And he said, it wasn't mine. And it again leads us to the, this thing that we've already talked about in previous episodes is we don't, Daniel doesn't know if he did the crime. He, he, he actually doesn't know if he's guilty. He, in, in whether he was, you know, in, in like a drug-induced state to, to the point that he really has no memory of it. You know, he's surprised or, or he doesn't say, well, of course it wasn't mine. I didn't have sex with Hannah that night. He doesn't even seem to know. So it's, yeah, that's a, another little intriguing insight into that. I think you're right. It was a, it was a fascinating flashback. Yeah. That, that's an interesting note about his knowledge, his, his, just his pure knowledge of what happened that night is, is still so incomplete and seems to have always been. Uh, And I kind of wanted to say one more thing just about the comment about him. I, I know it's not his job, you know, he, he has so much healing that he needs to do, but it just it was intriguing to me that there was this awareness of how his freedom would impact others while he was still in death row. And yet yeah. there seems to be a disconnect now that he's out, that the choices he is making are having some some uh, kind of negative effects on those around him. And he's kind of just not even giving that a second thought. And, and I, again, there's a lot on his plate, but it's just I find that in, uh, uh a noteworthy part of his character as he's continuing to move through this experience. I want to, before we go, just touch on another scene that I found awesome and wonderful. And I love it whenever these two guys are in conversation and that's Trey with Sheriff Carl. (laughs) I mean, okay. Going way back to uh, season one, we were talking about a Sheriff Carl Trey interaction at Trey's house and we had Michael Fuller, the you know the writer on. I think that was this was the the episode. And I asked a question about when Sean Bridgers, the that actor, fired in a dip of tobacco. Like was that in the script? And he said, No, that's just Sean Bridgers. Like he just does stuff like that. I love this scene where they're like over the back of of Trey's pickup. He's he's like delivers about half his lines with his mouth full of sandwich that he's just eating while he's, while he's answering Sheriff Carl's questions, you know, Carl. And then at the end, it's like, you know, Carl says, well, I'm probably going to have some more questions for you. And he says, maybe, maybe not at work next time. But here's what I think is interesting about that. 
is that this is another example of like, I really love Trey, but in some ways he's the villain. Like he way back to the pilot episode, you know, like he's the one who kind of, he pushed George into suicide. And then we know he's lying to the sheriff because he says, Oh, the door was, you know, the door was unlocked. No, the door wasn't unlocked. He disposed of George's body. He found George's wallet and key to his trailer home, you know, like his mobile home. He is covering up evidence. He's the one who's responsible for the fact that it's Daniel's fingerprints all over uh, George's wallet, that his own fingerprints aren't on George's wallet because we know we saw him put on gloves before he took the gun and the wallet out of the metal box that he keeps in his shed where where he put George's uh, belongings when he disposed of the body. Like, Trey's an evil dude. Trey, you know, like, Trey knows what really happened on that night 19 years ago when Hannah died, and George knew it too, whereas Tr- Trey didn't, you know, actually kill George. George committed suicide. We know that as viewers. N- nobody else in the show other than Trey knows that. Trey has committed some felony offenses right before our eyes. It's it's interesting this I'm just saying it's interesting this juxtaposition because we've got a guy we really like. I really love Trey, but he's an evil dude. He might be the villain. Like he might be the murderer for all we know. You're exactly right. I think you love Sean Bridgers and you appreciate his interpretation of Trey. I think that that Sean's uh, uh, steals every scene that he's in. It feels like Yeah. Uh, I think you're right. I think he pushes George. He pushes yes, George's butt. He does. Uh, it, it, there's a. Is he guilty? No. Is of George's death? No. Is he responsible? Yes. You know. You, you think about these kinds of different different relationships to these events, and right. you're right. All of these cover ups, and he's sowing seeds with the sheriff that could potentially build a case against Daniel, and he knows he's doing that. That's and right. I think. He knows He's doing that. He's doing it intentionally. It's sneaky. He's like you said, he's villainous. And it is clear that he knows more about what happened on that night when they were teenagers than he's letting on. Whether he's guilty of her death or not, he's responsible to some degree. Right. And uh, he's certainly responsible for this mis- miscarriage of justice that has has put Daniel in, in death row for all these years and now is still up in the air. And then there's this person we, you know, we, we kind of, I thought about this person again, or this reference to Christopher, right? Was it Chris or Christopher as another person who was there that night with these teenagers? So whether that person shows up, who knows? But yeah, this, the, again, we said this before, Sheriff's trying to do his job, but he is being frustrated by Daniel yeah. and then he's being misled by Trey. And so I don't think, you know, the sheriff's not any closer to figuring out actually what the hell happened or what the right course of action is moving forward because he's being kind of misled in different directions. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think it's fast. I think that's kind of fascinating stuff and you're right. I do really like Trey, but I, I wonder, you know, he's, he's, he is very subtly trying to build a case against Daniel. He's just like you say, He's just kind of dropping clues. Oh, I don't, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying 
it kind of looks like he did it, you know? So. Yeah. I'm loving that. I'm loving that. I'm loving that storyline. I'm, I'm, it's, it, it, we've talked about a little bit about the consuming television with teenagers consuming television during COVID. And I, I will yeah. say that I'm, I'm enjoying the way in which we've decided to engage the show one episode each week. I find myself thinking about it a lot. I, um, it's one of the only shows where I'm never checking social media while I'm watching. I'm always fully engaged and I I like being able to savor the show through these conversations with you and um, the few people I know that have, have already seen it and who know not to spoil things for me. And (laughs) then I I do think it's a show that I'll really miss. You know, we, like you said, we're kind of on the back half and um, there's not a ton of episodes left. And so, when I think about finishing this show, it's one that I think I will miss, like, uh, because it's just such, can't we say it a million times? It's just so well done. And yeah, I, I agree. have not been I, by yeah. a single episode. I haven't been, I haven't been bored or frustrated or anything. It's, it's yeah. just been such a unique experience to really be in all in on every episode. Quite well, frankly. I think that one of the reasons I, I'm in the same boat of I'm not checking my phone or or whatever when, when I'm watching this show. And I think it's because it's so subtle and you just you would miss stuff. There's there's a lot baked into the cake right. of That's this right. that you'd miss. I mean, the fact is, as I open this episode talking about, you know, that Aeneas sowed salt on Carthage, it's crazy. But believe it or not, that's when when Daniel's asked like by the, you know, the landlord of the, of the apartment complex when he's painting where he would go once he's exiled, he mentions Carthage as one of the places. I mean, there's just these little, uh, it's just these very uh, subtle and very literate. It's, it's really great stuff. And, and I, I too will miss it, but we got a ways to go. So yeah, I I hope people stick with us and, and, it's such a great show. So we'll be back next week, of course, with Rectify episode 304. Until that time, everybody, stay safe, wear a mask, unless you're Take listening care. to this. Unless you're listening to this after COVID's been cured, then hopefully you won't have to wear a mask anymore. All right, everybody. Talk to you next week. 